Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hi. Hi, Amy. And Andrea Smith, our technology guru. Not extraordinaire. <laughs> extraordinaire. Extraordinaire. Always. You've been downgraded. <laughs> oh I feel like it's like your gosh. personalized license plate or something. Low t- <laughs> I think I'm going to put that on my business card. You should. You should say it loud and proud. That's it. <laughs> Um, so today on the show, we will have a guest, Dr. Jerry Brubrick, Senior Psychologist with the Child Mind Institute. He is on today because he is one of the experts featured in a new documentary called Like, which is a new documentary from IndieFlix and the IndieFlix Foundation. So this film, we thought it was fascinating to have someone on about this because it's a documentary about true effects of technology on the brain and about the impact of social media on our lives and, and our kids. I mean, I think that's what we're all worried about, but it does talk to adults too, which is really interesting because I think a lot of adults focus on the effects of it on their kids and forget their effects on themselves. I think adults have just as much FOMO and all that stuff. You know, we just have the experience to maybe deal with it better. And why don't we play a clip so that people can get a sense of the movie and we will link on our website to other clips. I have definitely deleted pictures that I thought were super cute because they didn't get nearly as many likes as some other pictures have, which is sad because it's not supposed to be that way. You're just supposed to post things that you think are cool or that you like. I know some of my friends, they set alarms to like when they want to post mm-hmm. and when is a good time to post. They have different apps of like what, like to preview um, what your aesthetic will look like if you post a certain picture. Really? This process starts to train us, right? We start to be doing things. We start to go to this party and take pictures with these friends because that looks, you know, that's going to look good on Instagram and that's going to be good for my sort of social credit. And then suddenly it started to become the measure of our worth. It started to become... Um, But what's really cool is it is rolling out in time for the National Day of Unplugging, which starts on sundown March 1st to sundown March 2nd. So essentially March 2nd. Um, But one of the things I think is really funny that they pick that day, it's Shabbat. Like if you were an Orthodox Jew, (laughs) this is what you would do anyway, because it starts Friday night and it ends Saturday night. And I love that it's like this crazy foreign concept, but literally there are people all around the world who do this every week anyway. And now other people can experience what that's like to just unplug for 24 hours and take a breath and be with your family. Be with your family, just relax, maybe play board games, maybe go to the park. I wonder how many people are going to post on Facebook, I'm unplugging for 24 hours. Right. Oh, so many because they can't just do it. Can I tell you, like, there are plenty of times when, like, I'm just gone. And I don't say it. I just leave. I do it. I pretty much don't go on all weekend anymore. I really, really don't. Um, I'm on my phone because I do my New York Times crossword puzzle. <laughs> and I read the New York Times, <laughs> but I pretty much stay off of uh, social media and I don't answer any emails on the weekends anymore either. There was, there's a movement started by Tiffany Schlain years ago called Tech Shabbat. Um, years ago, years ago. So she was way ahead of the curve. Um, or maybe she set the curve, but this is, I guess they're trying to make just one day people just one day unplug. Um, and we should say like the film like is not available online to stream. They really want it to be brought to schools and community centers to be watched as a group so that you can have discussion and Q&A after, which is, you know, really important. I think that people don't feel like they're alone in this and kids don't feel like they're alone. And 
everyone thinks everyone else is perfect and it's probably great in a group setting to understand that these things are things everyone's tackling and talking about. So we will have Dr. Bubrick back right after this break. So we have today Dr. Jerry Bubrick, Senior Psychologist at the Child Mind Institute here in New York City, on the phone with us today. Hi, Dr. Bubrick. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. We are so happy to have you on. Um, you know, we we once in a while, <laughs> I would say every few years, there's a, a film that comes out like, like, um, and, you know, we talk about social media, we talk about sort of the dangers to kids, but this is very different, I feel, because we really have experts like you in this documentary talking about a deeper level of how this technology and how social media is sort of working on the brains of our children um, and maybe all of us and how it's really informing their behavior. Can you speak a little about how you got involved in the documentary and, you know, what you see as the message behind it? Yeah, so um, so Like is a, a new documentary about um, the effects of technology on the brain and how social media affects all of us. Um, I, I got involved in the film through my work on a previous film uh, with the same company called IndieFlix. Uh, that was a film called uh, Angst. Uh, they had um, uh, sent me uh, footage and asked me as a as a senior you know person in the psychologist in the field in the, in the field of anxiety to take a look at the footage and and give my comments. So I I watched with my twin fourteen year old daughters. Well, they were probably twelve at the time, and we watched the film and I gave comments and they said, "Oh, your comments are so great. We'd love to come and film you and be part of Angst." And so I did that. I was in a few scenes in Angst and really connected with the producer of, of IndieFlix, and she's a really an amazing person with a, with a big spirit. She's an incredibly hard worker, um, a lot of projects in her mind. She's already working on, I think, the next four films. So I, I kind of became friendly with her, and I started doing a lot of these question and answer sessions after Angst would be screened. And um, when she had the idea to do Like, uh, she asked me to be involved again. And I have a kind of a more prominent role in, in Like, partly because I work with kids and I understand that the effects of social media on kids, partly because, you know, I have um, teenage daughters and I want to help inform them about the effects of social media. And in part, you know, I, I learned a lot more about social media and the effects of it. Just kind of having been a normal citizen, I guess, I was, you know, kind of heard like, oh, it's not so good and you should limit it. But I didn't really understand the effects of it until I got more involved with the film. So I feel like I learned quite a bit through the process myself. What are the effects of it? I mean, I think this is what people don't really understand. Like you were saying, you see this general, oh, my kid's on Instagram all the time. I'm not really sure what they're doing. You're worried they're posting inappropriate pictures. But there are real chemical, biological things going on in the brain. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a relatively new field in terms of like how social media is affecting the brain. But what we're seeing already in a lot of research studies are a lot of links to depression, loneliness, anxiety, uh, body image issues and perceptions, uh, sleep quality, uh, sleep duration. So there's a lot of research coming out really talking about the extent uh, the, uh, to which social media negatively affects uh, the way we function. There's a, a very big study recently that showed that four out of 10 girls would spend three hours or more on social media every day, while only one out of 10 boys do. So there, there seems to be kind of a, a bigger draw for girls to be spending more time on it than boys. So that's going to affect the research a little bit. But we definitely see um, a correlation between social media usage so that the more time someone's on social media, the more likely they are to have depression and anxiety and feel lonely. 
And I never know where to go from there. I agree that there's a problem with kids being on social media so much. But, you know, with my daughter, like when she was in elementary school four blocks away, all of her friends were very close by. So if she wanted to spend time with her friends, they were around. Now that she's in high school in another borough, um, most of her good friends live an hour or more away. So especially in the evenings and especially on weekends, they're not physically with each other. So her favorite thing to do is like play Fortnite with them while FaceTiming them. And can you talk about the differences between like, are, do you see good use and bad use or is it all just kind of to be avoided if possible? I don't know that it's all to be avoided. I think like anything else in life, we want to have balance. Um, the, the problem with social media is that it, you know, the, a lot, again, the research is kind of looking at the dopamine receptors in the brain, that it almost kind of functions like an addict would function. Um, that, you know, it, when you're getting a positive experience on it, it's hitting the dopamine receptors in your brain and that feels good and you want to keep doing it. So it, in many ways, it almost can feel addicting. But does your research differentiate between like the communication parts of it and just the purely social parts of it? Right. Yeah, not yet. But I think as a parent and as a professional in the field, I usually talk to parents about trying to find balance between social media and screens and life, right? Um, so let's say that your your daughter's friends did live next door still, not an hour away. On a school night, would you want the kids to be spending three or four hours together after school before, you know, like, and when would you have that time? It would have to be preferably after homework is done, maybe around or through dinner, but then there's going to be a cutoff point where you're going to say, okay, kids, it's time to go home because we have to get ready for bed and we have to get ready for the next day if we're going to get a good amount of sleep for the next day. You wouldn't necessarily have kids in your house for five hours on a Tuesday night on a school night. That's a good point. I also feel like, I mean, when I was a teenager, you know, I would do my homework and get everything done and then spend hours on the telephone, you know, talking right. to my friends. So, you know, you're still having that communication, which is what your kids are doing now, but they're doing it through FaceTiming. Right. You know, it's so interesting. Last uh, Two nights ago, I went out for dinner uh, with some friends and uh, was at a restaurant. It was like a bar restaurant. And I always like watching older couples. I think they're very sweet to watch. And this really adorable little couple kind of, you know, comes over very slowly to the table. They sit down and they looked at the menu. And when they were done with the menu, they both took out their phones. They were probably in their you know late 70s. They both took out their phones and they were on their phones um, talking about who they were texting and FaceTime and, you know, kind of doing social media with. But they weren't really talking to each other. They were using the phones as a way of kind of just almost distracting or kind of being not present while they were having this meal together. I thought it was fascinating because normally you would see that with teenagers. Right. Yeah, that's so funny. I remember a friend of mine actually broke up with a boyfriend when we were in college because he would read the paper when they would go out to eat. <laughs> and she was like, it's so rude. He opens up the paper and he reads the paper and it's like blocking her. And now you're so used to seeing people just sitting on their phones being rude. Right. I think about like my, my dad when um, Call Waiting first came out mm -hmm. and this was kind of like the first, almost like the first iteration of almost like a social media um, call waiting came out and he would joke he would say you know can you please hold someone potentially more important might be on the other line <laughs> right and, and that's almost kind of like the same mindset that social media takes on with kids in in the film there's a really kind of a fun scene where the narrator um, Max Dossel talks about the differences between generations and how we would take selfies for example so uh, adults you know if, if I'm going to take a selfie with a friend I might take one or two selfies and pick the one that I like more and then kind of go with that one, right? Where teenagers will take 30 selfies 
and then they'll find the one that's the best one, erase all the others so they don't exist anymore, and then they doctor it so that the scenery looks really amazing, that the, they kind of, they might Photoshop their appearance a little bit, they might kind of like put out wrinkles, and, and it looks, and with the, the doctored picture afterwards, there's this like amazing false rest representation of what really happened, and you don't see the story behind the fighting that happened before the picture was taken, or the drama afterwards, or someone wanted this one, someone wanted that one, and all you see is this image that looks amazing, and then they post it on social media, and everyone says, oh, that's so great, you're so happy, look how happy your life is, and then inside they're like, well, but how come I wasn't there, and how come I don't have those kind of friends, and what's wrong with me, and why don't I have that, so then they kind of go out, and they have to go and, and do the same kind of thing, where they're, it's, it's really just about kind of portraying this image that life is so wonderful, and it's not real. And that's that's the part that really starts to affect kids, you know, self-esteem and how they feel about themselves and their body image and their depression, their loneliness, because it's this constant competition to see who has the best life. I always tell people you have to keep in mind how different people use social media, because like if you look on my Instagram feed, you will see perfect pictures. If you look on my Instagram stories, you will see my dirty dishes and more of real life. Right. And in, in the children's kind of mindset or in the culture, that, that's what's called a Finsta, a fake Instagram account that um, is for only just close friends to see like my real life. My Instagram account is kind of like my false life that I want everyone to see how wonderful it is. What I found so fascinating, one of the quotes in, in the trailer that I watched was a girl basically saying that if she didn't get hundreds of likes on her Instagram photo immediately, she deleted it because it wasn't right. good enough. Right. Yep. And that's the, the unfortunate part about social media is that there is this kind of constant, am I good enough? Do people like me? Do people like this? So it's almost like um, self-worth is defined by the number of likes you have on, on something. Do you think that'll change as kids get older and as the, there's the next generation growing up with it? I mean, I do think I've seen just a switch in my own daughters. My daughters are, I have 16-year-old twins, and they um, went the new iteration of iOS. They put their own screen time limits on their social media. They just did it themselves because they were sick of everything. They definitely go through periods where they take everything off their phone entirely, Instagram, whatever. Um, and I, th they all know it's fake. They talk about how they know everyone's stuff is fake. Uh, you know, they recognize like the people who are posting just to get pity likes or pity, you know, whatever. And they seem so much more jaded than they were just, you know, two or three years ago. Yeah, I do think things, you know, as, as kids get older, they do mature. So I think p part of the, the conversation needs to be about, um, at what point do we give our children phones? At what point do we trust them to be making good decisions on their own on their phones? And how much involvement do we have in their lives and how much input do we have on what they're posting? I used to talk a lot about before screens were so readily accessible, you know, about ha having a TV in your kid's room. Mm -hmm. Would you trust that before all of this, you know, social media and internet and all this stuff, would you have trusted your 12-year-old with a TV in their room? Could they resist the temptation to turn it on and say, oh, I'll just watch two shows before I do my homework? And how likely would it be that you would come in and find them, in, you know, entrenched in some series and they're hours in and they haven't touched their homework yet? So, you know, that's why we would want TVs out of the room and just kind of away from those distractions. This is the first generation that we've had that only knows smartphones. They don't remember a time when there wasn't a phone or there was the, kind of the dumb phones. And so as they evolve, they're going to mature and make better decisions. But it's not going to go away. 
um, because this is embedded in their culture. And so I, I think that parents have to do a, a good job of having an open communication about what screen time means, about what social media is, and how to have balance. We, we talked about that a little bit before, um, but I, I kind of look at when I'm talking to parents about, you know, having a, a really, and we hear about this at work in our lives, having a healthy work-life balance, but we don't always think about having that with our children, that we sometimes over-schedule our kids, or we don't always factor in how much they're committing themselves to social media. So for example, if a kid gets home from school at, you know, three o'clock, uh, they probably have, especially in the New York City area, they or you know metro areas, they probably have a class, a, a basketball or gymnastics or dance or something. I have 14-year-old twin daughters. We have acting and singing and you know all these different classes. They get home from that five o'clock, six o'clock, and we have dinner, and then you know they at least have two or an hour or two of homework, depending on the school and the grade, right? So now we're looking at eight o'clock, and then they want to spend a couple hours on social media. If you're lucky, your kids are in bed by eleven. But then they have to be up around six. So they're only getting seven hours of sleep, which is not enough. A lot of studies are looking at, you know, um, the effects of sleep deprivation on mood, anxiety, attention, confidence. Um, and that kids who get less than eight hours a night are more susceptible to depression, anxiety, and concentration issues than the kids who are getting eight or more. So we have to really think about having balance in screen time and even our scheduling of our kids so that they're able to have a little bit of screen time and have that input in their life that's very important to them. We want to validate how important that is to them and be able to get enough sleep to be able to function nicely the next day and be part of the family and have their activities and do their homework so that really, you know, we're, we're incorporating the screen time and the social media into their life with balance. But if you leave it up to a 13 or a 14 or a 15 year old child and say, you figure it out, you know, limit your screen time, but you figure it out. Most kids aren't going to know how to regulate that or regulate anything, and they're going to spend 27 hours a day on their screens at the sacrifice of doing their work or getting good sleep. So I think this this comes back to parents right, to really kind of model this and, and kind of outline it for kids. Right. That's what I was going to ask you is that I think even now, I mean, one of the big differences I see being a parent now versus the parents I see of young children now is I didn't have a smartphone at the playground. Um, and I remember being at a certain point where my kids, maybe they were four, thinking, could I read a book now? Like, do I, can I be that mom on the bench reading a book? I was the mom reading a newspaper. Right. But I I think that in terms of that modeling, in terms of what you're talking about, I, I walk by the playground and every mom is, or nanny or whatever, dad is on their phone. Yep. Even if they're following their kid around the jungle gym. <laughs> They have their phone out a lot of times um, or they're pushing a stroller and they're looking at their phone and they're texting at the same time. I, I won't even talk about parents who text and drive, which I know in the suburbs is a huge thing. Um, so that modeling, it's really interesting to me when you talk about it, because I think parents get really frustrated at their kids, but you could be screaming at your kid about it while you're staring at your phone. Totally. And, and that's that's one of the things I, we talk about with families is to have. Um, to have kind of family rules about phones. It, you know, in my home, no one's allowed to be on their phone at the, at the table. When we're having a meal, whether we're at a restaurant or we're at home, while we're eating, there's no phones allowed. And so that really has to be driven and modeled by the parents because it's not fair and kids will say, how come we can't have your, our phones, but you get to check your email? And parents will say, oh, this is work and this is really important. But that's a hypocritical message, right? My phone is really important because it's work, therefore I could have it, but yours is silly, it's social media, you don't need it. So if we want our kids to be able to have this balance, we have to model it. And every family is a little bit different about their rules, but I think it's really important to establish what those rules are. 
I live, you know, 12 miles from New York City, so we, we drive a lot. We have a rule in my house that, you know, if we're driving 10 miles or less, you can't have your phone out. So anything around town, you don't need your phone out. If we're going on a road trip, there's no phone for the first 10 miles, and then you can have your phone and do whatever while we're on the road. But as we approach the 10 mile mark to where we're going, phones get put away. So we can actually readjust to the world and look around and see, oh, this place is pretty, look at the trees, and we can talk about what it is. So everyone's a little bit different about what their rules are, but I think it's crucially important for families to have family rules and everyone has to follow them. Yeah, I think that's probably the best advice at all and probably the hardest for parents, I think. Right, but that's if we want our children to, to have good balance, we have to show them how to do it. And so that, that really you really have to prioritize for yourself as a parent. Uh, I want to be present for this meal. I want to be present for this situation with my kids. And that the being present is more important than an email that I can check in five and you know twenty minutes from now. That nothing is life or death. Do you think that after parents um, get an opportunity to watch a film like this, that they understand the implications of social media on their kids and and more the long term future implications? And yeah. are there resources for them to kind of understand how to boost self esteem without letting social media strip it away? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. So the the film does a really nice job of of kind of looking at how social media affects kids from kids' points of view and then simultaneously looking at how it affects adults from adults' point of view. So like I was saying before about the selfies, they really do a nice job of looking at like Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and how the different generations use social media and how it affects them differently. So I think that's, that, that is a nice feature in the film. In terms of resources, um, uh, you know, uh, Common Sense Media is a tremendous resource. I'm sure you've talked about that before. We love them. Child Mind Institute has recently partnered with Common Sense Media, so some of the articles written on Common Sense have links to the Child Mind Institute. Our website, childmind.org, is a really tremendous resource for parents and educators on all different forms of anxiety and you know depression and learning differences, all forms of mental health. And so the, those are really good resources for kind of picking up some articles or videos on, on how to kind of improve communication, how to have better balance and um, resources for skills. You know, if parents see their kids being more anxious, more depressed, and maybe see them spending a lot more time on the phone, what do you feel like is the first thing a parent should do in that situation? I think to, to validate is really the, the most important s step in terms of communicating. You know, we tend to have, uh, as parents, I talk a lot about how when our kids are younger, our jobs are to be fixers and protectors. Uh, we, you know, block staircases so they can't fall up and down. We put those little things in drawers so they can't smush fingers. Uh, we set up play dates. We call teachers if there's a problem, right? So our job is to fix and protect. But as the kids get older, our job changes without any kind of indication or warning. And we become more like consultants where our job is to help our kids find solutions for themselves. But what happens a lot is that we stay in fix-it mode. And so when our kids say, I'm, I'm depressed, parents will say, oh, you're fine. You just need to go to bed. You know, you just need to study more. Or, you know, I'm anxious. Oh, you're fine. You, everyone's anxious, you know, and, and we tend to kind of dismiss and fix it because, Either we're not aware that it's really an issue or we think they're overreacting. So if that's the reaction that a kid gets from their parents about, you know, talking about something that's important to them, what do you think is going to happen to the likelihood of them doing it again? They're going to shut it down. They're not going to go back to the parent and they're going to hold it in. So I think parents really need to be able to listen 
um, and be able to say, you know, I, I hear you, I understand you're anxious. Why do you suppose that is, right? And have a conversation asking questions rather than giving solutions. And so we want that those kids to kind of come into in having conversations. Well, I'm I'm anxious about what happened on social media, you know, that I wasn't I see these kids went to this party and I wasn't invited and I don't feel so good about myself, right? So now the parent has a choice. Either I can fix it and be like, Oh, they're not your friends anyways, don't worry about it, you'll be invited to something else. Or we could say, oh, I hear you. That If I were in that situation, I would be upset too. All right? What do you think you could do about that? What are some options you have? Um, and so we, we want to get kids into a conversation. And so if, you know, if, anxiety, if they're talking about being anxious or depressed to a point where it's impairing their functioning, um, they're thinking about it more often than they should be, they can't recover so quickly, um, they're anticipating things ahead of time, it, they're affecting their grades or their concentration in school, then I think it's better to, to err on the side of caution and um, uh, reach out for some help and find a therapist and start having a conversation about learning skills. No, I think that's really helpful because I think parents, it's easy to blame the phone <laughs> and then take away the phone and then think that's the root of everything. And I think it just, it all feeds into itself probably. Right. Yep, exactly. And and that's the, that's the going back to that fix it mode. Like I know what the problem is. I know why you're anxious. You're anxious because you spend too much time on your phone. So I'll fix this by getting rid of your phone. Now you'll be fine. Right. Which may or may not be right, but that's not going to really give them any skills to handle what else is going on that's making them anxious. It's just going to buy them a little time. I think that's the key right now because the phones aren't going away. Um, so, you know, I do see some parents say, oh, you know, I'm not going to let my, my kid have a phone until they're 16. I, I feel like it's a skill that people need to start learning and avoiding it just, just delays the problem. Right. Right. And there's not really a way to really take it away. Right. They could be on their, right. could lose their phone, but they're going to be on, they could see it with another friend or, you know, it's, and they feel like, well, I need it for, to, to communicate. And, you know, I need, what if I, there's an emergency? So it is, the, the, that's what I was saying before this generation, it, the, all they know is smartphones. So it's not a matter, I agree with you, it's not a matter of taking it away. It's a matter of teaching balance. And, you know, how do you structure your life so that you could have two hours of screen time and do your homework and read a book? Um, and spend time with your family and still get a good night's sleep and eat your meals and, you know, do your extracurriculars. So that's, that's the, that's the, it's the balance that really is, I, from, from my point of view, is the most important thing here. And um, ho hopefully help people, and this is again one of the, the points of like, is to help people self-regulate. Do I really need to be on my phone for four hours today? Or can I tone it down to a half, you know, what, what can I do in a half an hour? Um, do I really need four hours or three hours or two hours to, to scroll through kind of mindlessly what's going on in other people's posts? Or can I just, you know, have this way of being efficient without needing it so, to occupy so much of my time? I don't know if it's in the film, but I, I did talk about it, part of the footage, that you know, our phones are better cameras than cameras, mm -hmm. and they're better flashlights than flashlights. But most kids don't use their phones as phones, right? And a lot of teenagers are actually kind of, they don't even really understand the protocol of making a phone call. So um, if we're going to order food uh, from a restaurant, I'll say, you know, call, call this restaurant and see what time they close. And they say, no, I don't want to call. That's weird. And they say, Siri, what time does the, this restaurant close? <laughs> right? So they don't really know how to use the phone as a phone. It's fascinating. It's actually horrifying. They don't know how to answer the phone either. It's bizarre. Right. <laughs> it's, just, it's very strange. Um, and maybe they won't have to. I don't know. I guess everything's adapting and changing and 
their generation is going to do things differently. Um, but it'll it'll be interesting to see. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was so informative and thoughtful. Um, I think it's going to give our listeners just a ton to think about. And um, we will put links up to everything, including the Child Mind Institute, and of course to like. Um, and IndieFlix and the IndieFlix Foundation so people can find out how to bring like to their school or their community. And uh, we hope to have you on again. This was really wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. We will be right back with our Bites of the Week. Okay, we are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, what do you have? Okay, I have a fun one. And Rebecca, you're going to hate this. So I'm a huge fan of the Golden Girls. Like it's one of those shows that I can just have on in the background while I work because I've seen every episode like 75 times. So it's not distracting. It's just kind of entertaining some part of my brain that isn't, you know, involved in work. And there is going to be a Golden Girls cruise. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and Isn't every cruise a Golden Girls cruise? <laughs> Let me tell you, one time my husband and I were on a cruise. It was our honeymoon cruise. It was the first cruise we ever took. And we ended up like waiting. We got upgraded and we were waiting in this lounge with like all of the people who have like super duper golden I cruise all the time status. And we were like 50 years younger than ever everybody else in that room <laughs> it's not that there weren't younger people on the ship but like the people who have that status who do it all the time yeah they're all really right old. but anyway so there's this company um called i think it's called flip phone and they used to do or they i think they still do these pub crawls these golden girls bar crawls and um they decided that they had so many people doing these bar crawls that they thought there would be interest in an entire cruise so it's going to be this time next year it leaves on february uh, february 24th it's a five-day cruise out of miami of course and listen to what's going to be on this cruise all right there's a caftan sail away party with cheesecake oh my god the rusty anchor karaoke party of course golden girls trivia and lots of costume stuff there's a Shady Pines Craft Corner. Um, when the boat gets to Key West, they're going to do a bar crawl with many people dressed as Golden Girls. There is going to be a one night in St. Olaf dance party, including a game of Oogle and Flugel, which if you watch the show, you know is like a kind of a game of tag, and um, Dorothy's Bingo. So, Oh my God. I, I cannot tell you how much I want to go on this cruise. I broached the subject with my husband the other night, and he was like, that's just insane. And I was like, but you could go with me and we could dress up as Dorothy and Stan. And now he's like even more against it. So, <laughs> Oh, you need a gay best friend, Amy, who will go with you. Oh my God, I so much do. So I, I don't know if I'm going on it. I desperately want to go on it, but we will have uh, the link for you. If you want to go on it, you have to put down a $250 deposit. Wow. And then you can be in the caftan. What is it, a caftan fashion show? No, it's that's the, the, the like party as you leave. Eve, where there, you get to wear ah. your caftan and eat cheesecake, which really, if you're eating uh, cheesecake, I think you'd need a caftan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Andrea, what do you wow. have? Wow. Okay. So um, I know all of us sit in front of our computer, right? We work in front of our computer. We're reading iPads at night, phones at night. Our kids are on the computer all day doing homework and tons of social media, as we just learned. Um, and I have been using blue light reading glasses. 
And I always shied away from these. They've been around for a long time because they had these ugly amber lenses. Like you just looked at them and you knew that they were just some weird kind of glasses. Um, a company called Gunner is particularly well known for them. So they now have really fashion-friendly blue light glasses they come in two different lenses. So one is the amber, which is just a light, light amber that's barely detectable. And another one, I'm not going to pronounce this right. I think it's Liquet, L-I-Q-U-E-T, is more of a blue tone. So obviously the amber blocks more of the blue light and the uh, Liquet a little bit less. But I have to say, you know, when you're looking at the computer all day, I get dry eyes. It causes headaches, blurry vision. Um, I know I'm guilty of reading my iPad in bed uh, before I go to sleep, and that's supposedly the worst thing for you and for your sleep because of the blue light. So um, Gunner has blue light glasses for anybody who's just looking at a screen, and for old people like me who need reading glasses, they now make reading glasses in different strengths. They also make prescription glasses, so you can get them you know, if you've got a prescription right for your computer distance. Um, so they're really cool. They come in great fashion-friendly uh, styles now, different colors. And you can go on the website, and we'll post a link to the website. And you can order the regular ones. You can order the reading ones, prescription ones. Send them to your kids in college. I have to say, when I take them off and look at the screen again, it, it's like a shock to my eyes almost because huh. it, it just feels like, ah, Wow. I need to check that out. I'm I'm staring at my computer screen through my reading glasses right now. So that would definitely help me. Yeah. And my niece who's in college even said that she's been getting a lot of headaches and she went to an eye doctor and the eye doctor said, get some blue light glasses. You're on your screen so all day. Interesting. I do yeah. night mode on my phone and computer starting at yeah. eight. Um, but it's like annoying because all of a sudden your whole screen's amber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Does this like, aside from making it just kind of relaxing your eyes, like does it look funny no not at all I mean it looks a little it doesn't look dark it just it really looks like it makes me want to go ah it's it like just cuts like the glare. A, it cuts the glare it cuts the um that kind of bright bright light that's coming through and what's really interesting is the company makes they sell a lot of them for gamers hmm. oh, I'm sure people so who many do hours. PC okay. gaming yes hours on the screen um, they sell a ton of those. So interesting. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, well, my bite, I spent the whole day at Toy Fair yesterday, God help me. And um, I, of course, because, you know, I don't really not that into toys at all. Um, the thing I loved the most was we were at Crayola and they had erasable highlighters and erasable gel pets. Ooh. And I know that sounds so weird. <laughs> to be excited about but if you have a student in your house who is constantly having to highlight and work in pen and then like they you know you can't white out is just ridiculous they still make white out yes oh my god yes so what's so cool is that you can literally just erase a highlighter which so if you've over highlighted if you have a child who's a little overzealous with the highlighting especially when they start learning how to do that and they just don't really know what they're doing and they're highlighting everything 
Um, but you can erase the highlighter, which I've never seen. I've never seen that. Does that mean you can highlight all your college books and then un erase them all so you can sell them? You probably could. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you really could. I mean, it fully erased. Like we tested it on a million things, fully erased and come in a bunch of colors, which is awesome. And then they had erasable gel pens too. So I know like a lot of people just don't like working in pencil. You know, if they're doing math, if you have a kid who's doing math or physics or whatever um, and prefers to write in pen because, you know, pencil smudges, pencil's hard to read sometimes, pencil has to be sharpened. These gel pens are, first of all, beautiful to write with. Like they totally flow, which I'm a pen snob and, you know, I love a good pen, but they completely erase, which I've also never seen. So I was super into them out of everything at Toy Fair. I was like, erase it. Like they felt they were so freaked out that I was so excited that they gave me a whole bunch. Um, they were like, here, take some. You're a weirdo. Um, but then I ran into other people at Toy Fair. I'm like, did you see the erasable highlighters? They were like, yes, so cool. So everyone was talking about them. Everyone of a certain age was talking about them. Um, so those other people can have their collectible action figures. I will take the erasable highlighters. Um, they're super cool. They're actually available now. So we can put a link to them. And I highly, highly recommend putting them on your school supply list or your, you know, stuck sticking them in your giant school supply bin that you have in your closet somewhere. Um, they're just great, and I think they're great for a college care package, whatever. They're super cool. My bite. <laughs> My exciting I have the cheap bite <laughs> um, of the week. That is our show for today. You can find everything we talked about at parentingbites.com and on facebook.com slash parentingbites. We'll put links to everything we talked about today and a cool transcript, interactive transcript, our new yes. feature. So you can jump to everything. You can read if you don't feel like listening. But we hope you listen um, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, rate, review, subscribe, and share. Anything you do helps us spread the word about our podcast. And please, if you have any questions or comments, leave them on our Facebook page so we can address them in a future show or get back to you on our page. Until next week, happy parenting. Bye. Bye. Bye.